Hello and welcome to Series 2 of ZeroNet50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and I'm excited to be back with Joel Stromberg. Hi, Joel. Hi, Jennifer. So we took a little break for summer and now we're starting the new series with some changes. This is the first of what will be a regular Washington, D.C. focused update. But before we jump in, I wanted to come back to a comment, comment that you made about just how hot it got in July where you live. What did you say happened? It got so hot. Oh, I, I said, yeah, my tomatoes got stewed on the vine, I think, is, what I, is the way uh -huh. I phrased it, yeah. <laughs> right, but also the PVC pipe melted. Oh, yes, it did. I, the supports. Um, it yeah. must have gotten up to like 102 in between the uh, the weight of the tomato plants uh, and the uh, sun. Uh, this uh -huh. three-quarter inch PVC pipe just went from a from an I to a U. Um, yeah, that's and, crazy. Hot. It is it is crazy. I mean, this is the same. This is the same pipe that people use in their plumbing systems. Right. Well, I've heard more than once the idea that what we're experiencing is quote not the summers of our youth, because it just is getting hot, hot, hot. And you likely saw the news that July was as hot and probably a bit hotter than the record in July 2016 for like recorded history. Right. And 2015 to 2019 is on track to be the five hottest years on record. So it's it's kind of a yikes moment that we're in. It is. I suppose if there's a uh, silver lining to all of this, uh, people are beginning to uh, speak uh, more seriously about climate change. Yep, absolutely. I mean, the heat is causing significant ice melt in Greenland and there are these major wildfires in the Arctic that just went on all summer. It's it's just really aggressive. And with these events as the backdrop for our summer, as you say, there's just been some vigorous grassroots activity building up to the UN Climate Action Summit in New York. That's uh, going to happen in September. I think it's the 23rd. And people are mobilizing a global climate strike on September 20th. This protest is a follow on basically from this wave of people that uh, we've seen coming together to push a social conversation about climate change. And as we know, youth participation in that is really high. The idea is that the September 20 strike will jumpstart like a, a whole week of climate action with Greta Thunberg helping promote the whole thing by promising to be in New York City on September 20th for a noon strike. So it's it's pretty exciting stuff. Right. It is. You know, she's crossing the Atlantic in a sailboat. I know. Um, I saw that. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. I mean, we'll see if they can uh, get here on time. Yeah. Uh, pre presumably they left <laughs> early enough, but we'll see. <laughs> exactly. The, the other thing I, that's interesting, actually, about that, too, is that what what actually hasn't been kind of showing up in the uh, uh, in the rumors and, and the news about uh, Washington and the Trump administration is there's no talk at the moment about the administration sending um, its usual crew of coal salesmen um, mm -hmm. to the climate conferences. Um, right. Although I, my guess is they will probably be there, um, right. but it just hasn't been advertised the way it has in the past. And, um, although clearly the big oil companies actually are planning um, a side uh, series of meetings and uh, presentations, um, mm -hmm. basically to tell the world they're not as bad as we think they are, and, um, mm -hmm. to save their profits if they can. Of course. Well, 
globalclimatestrike.net has a great map and searchable resource of climate strike events during that week. Um, and of course, there's a DC climate strike, which is going to start at 11 at the gates of the White House, and participants will march to the Capitol building. So, of course, that will be in your backyard. But that nicely brings me back around to Washington, D.C. So tell me, what's the latest that you've been focused on there? Oh, actually, um, they're, they're, they're in recess at the moment. Um, the House went out at the end of July um, after passing its uh, 12 appropriation bills. Uh, the Senate went out shortly after that, um, after they approved the uh, budget and uh, uh, the budget cap and the uh, uh, the budget numbers for uh, the next fiscal year um, that Trump has signed. And that's brought us actually closer, one step closer to avoiding um, another government shutdown. When they, when both chambers come back uh, in September, the Senate um, still has to, hasn't even um, approached any of the legislation, any of the appropriations legislation yet. So they have 12, 12 appropriation bills to get out. They wouldn't work on it. Um, because the White House uh, wouldn't give them a budget number um, until after some kind of a decision was made on the, uh, uh, the debt ceiling and the budget uh, numbers. Um, but 12, 12 appropriation bills in what's going to amount to be uh, four weeks is going to be an interesting sort of proposition. The fiscal year changes on October 1st. The House will probably um, let the Senate deal with the appropriation bills and go about its business of doing messaging hearings um, on climate change. Um, the appropriation bills have a number of provisions in it, um, which the ones that will last are probably the ones that have that um, impact the, the operating budgets of the agencies. Um, Trump's cut, budget cuts never really uh, were approved. So the agencies will be dealing at least in dollar terms on paper at about the same level a uh, little bit of elevation um, that they have been over the last uh, two years. The budget uh, resolution, the, the budget deal and the uh, debt ceiling is good for two years. So um, this this won't be repeated uh, again until after the 2020 um, elections, actually, which is something that they wanted to do because they kind of, I think both parties wanted to take it out of um, uh, the contention for uh, headlines during uh, the next 18 months. Uh, campaigning election. Um, there, there have been a couple of um, trends I think that are that are being set. Um, one, which is the uh, Democrats are now beginning to think of agricultural issues, uh, food security, sustainable farming, and what have you. Um, it actually has really come up just in the last couple of weeks, and uh, two things prompted that. One was the United Nations uh, IPCC, the Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change. Um, has just actually their report was leaked, but the, the report will be out um, certainly by the time of the uh, meeting in September. Um, and they really talk about the urgency and the crisis in uh, agriculture. And it comes on a couple of levels. One is food security. Um, that's, you know, whether people have enough food uh, around the world, um, given all the droughts and the other problems. The other thing is sustainable farming. And a big thing going on now, um, and actually is something that was proposed in Senator Booker's uh, version of his agricultural uh, climate change plan is tree planting. Um, it's really been fairly well established that carbon can be sequestered 
in land through trees. And mm -hmm. um, in Booker's version of his bill, um, he calls for actually the, the creation um, of, the, uh, of a, a civilian conservation corps to plant 15 million trees. Um, the Civilian Conservation Corps actually was something that the New Deal, the real New Deal, um, had uh, under the Roosevelt administration. Um, Booker's 15 million trees, though, seemed to pale, I think, in comparison to um, something that occurred a few weeks ago uh, in Ethiopia, uh, where over 330 million trees were planted in a 24-hour period. Um, which broke the world's record um, that was set in India. And I read just the other day that uh, in India, um, they did another tree planting where they uh, had planted over 200 billion trees, also in a 24-hour period. Hmm. We're going to see a lot of that. And um, I think the other thing that we're going to be seeing that, that, that every, uh, a number of the other um, presidential candidates have actually put out an agricultural plan too. Warren has, Klobuchar has. Uh, Gillibrand has, and um, a representative from Illinois, who's the chairwoman of the Democratic uh, congressional campaign, uh, Sherry Bustos, also put out a plan. Um, whether this actually catches on with the Republicans is, is another issue, but the Democrats are doing this for a couple of reasons. One is I mean, just the, the reason that agriculture is responsible for like 21% of the uh, greenhouse gases. And we, there's no solution unless you can kind of you solve the emission problems uh, that are affiliated with agriculture. And obviously because of food and other things, there are, there are geopolitical reasons for it, as, uh, for it as well. But it's also a natural way. Um, I mean, there's nothing, we talk about the billions of dollars that are needed for carbon capture. Um, and it's, it's speculative. We don't know that those that the systems that are being developed now work. Um, we don't know how long research will take to develop a, uh, uh, a system that's reliable um, and reasonably economic. I mean, at some point, the economics have to be thrown away because you know, what price is survival? But here in the, in the natural setting, we know the trees do this. And reforestation is, is something that has been talked about and needed for a long time. And now that this has actually been validated as um, something that does, in fact, have a, a very significant impact on, um, uh, on emissions and the future of climate change. We're going to see a lot more activity in the agricultural sector. The Democrats are going to be able to take certain advantage of this, too, because of the um, number of floods and disasters that have hit agricultural farmlands at the, uh, in that kind of middle swath of the United States from north down into the south, actually. Um, along with the tariffs, uh, I think if you remember, Jennifer, I'd written about this before a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago. Um, and what's happening is, I mean, farmers are getting, I mean, economically, they're getting killed. And um, they're not real fond of the tariffs, um, although they're still at a point where they're kind of accepting this as, as a kind of needed medicine for the country and they're sticking with Trump. How long that takes, and is anybody's guess. But the fact of the matter is, that it's hard, I mean, it's hard for family agriculture now. Um, not that it hasn't always been, but climate change is actually making that worse. And because of the poverty in rural areas, and because this is something that um, actually could profit um, coal uh, counties uh, in West Virginia and Kentucky and in other places where miners are coming out, getting, have, no longer have jobs and the, the poverty level keeps rising. Um, rural agriculture, I mean, and, and the use of agricultural lands for climate change purposes, whether it's to lease um, lands for solar and uh, solar panels and, 
and wind machines or planting trees or developing um, new ways that soil can be um, amended and, and increased as a uh, sink for carbon actually does improve um, the economic uh, prospects in rural America. So this is something I think that is really going to happen. Um, whether it happens, obviously, between now and election time is still anybody's guess, but it's something that Republicans might actually be able to go and support because that constituency at some point is going to be supporting these initiatives as well. All the proposals really entail billions of dollars um, in programs uh, and uh, from job training to to research to um, demonstration programs. So the existence of real programs with real money is certainly going to kind of have this issue bubble up um, to the top. And it, it's it's long it's long been neglected, and I for one am glad to see it. Mm-hmm. The other, th- the other trend that's happening is um, the moderate Democrats on the House side are now standing up. Um, in fact, they just in the last week uh, they produced a 11-page document on uh, climate change and the kinds of solutions that they would like to see. Um, it's to be distinguished from the progressive sides, um, the Green New Deal, and the fact that. The moderates are, are much more willing to look at market forces, um, carbon pricing, uh, incentives to uh, uh, industry, um, removal of actually the removal of incentives in some cases to the oil um, and gas industries and what have you. Um, they didn't do any. They didn't provide any specifics. What they did do is to produce this 11-page document saying this is these are the areas and the the um, uh, the kinds of, of solutions we would like to see. The fact that it, there are 100 signatures on there um, actually kind of gives force to the fact that the progressives have been getting a lot of uh, press attention, but um, you know, more, re- more Democrats were elected um, in red districts um, than the progressives were. And this, this is this kind of constant tension between um, the progressives and the moderates. Now that the moderates have um, a document out there, I, I see that the debate is going to go on. At, um, it's going to go on right through the, the platform committee and into the uh, Democratic Convention mm-hmm. um, in Milwaukee in 2020. But the fact of the matter is that, that the sides are kind of lining up with something more than um, we don't like your you know, proposal, but we don't like yours either. And so it's kind of good to see um, the increase in substantive um, discussions going on. And that's also true on the Republican side in the form of um, carbon pricing proposals. Uh, there are probably now eight or nine different um, carbon tax proposals. Um, also, as we've discussed and as I've written about before, I'm not a very big fan of carbon taxes. And I think politically they're going to be a lot less um, acceptable than uh, than the polls show or that the um, uh, proposers of these proposals uh, claim them to be. I, I still look at the state of Washington and see the, you know, the electorate voting down um, a carbon tax twice um, and um, in, in a state that's probably as green as, as any you'll find in the nation. Yeah. Um, my preference is to see a, a clean energy standard um, created. But, but again, it's... I think that it's always positive when when substantive dialogue is going on, and in this case, the Republicans are are indicating um, 
some of the things that they would like to see. Um, where this all ends up is anybody's guess. Uh, on the carbon tax, you have both Democrats and Republicans. But again, I think that ultimately political reality is going to set in. Um, also in that vein, uh, ex-Secretary uh, Ernie Moniz, uh, who was the Secretary of Energy under Obama, um, mm -hmm. came out this week. I, and I think he was a stalking horse for a number of other groups, but he came out with what he's called the Green Real Deal, um, which also uh, supports and indicates that this can't be done without nuclear um, and some kind of carbon capture technology. And here he's talking about technology, not um, agricultural or right, uh, right. You know, more, more natural sinks. My feeling is that Moniz is the wrong is the wrong one. It's the wrong messenger in this, and uh, again, I think that he is he is um, doing this for some for some other groups. Um, the other thing that's happening, which is kind of interesting, and I suppose in some sense it's unfortunate, there's pushback on the Obama on the Obama administration. We've seen some of that in the uh, uh, the debates that the uh, the uh, Democratic candidates have, have been having, um, mm -hmm. and we're also seeing that too in discussions on. Um, environmental uh, environment, uh, environmental regulations and what's needed um, as far as climate change is concerned. And, you know, at one level, the discussion as well, I mean, what Obama had proposed, the Clean Power Plan and, and the water of the U.S. rule and what have you, um, were just too moderate or middle of the road, is, is, uh, which has just become a, a pejorative term these days in, um, in politics. Um, but the thing is that they're also... It's almost as if they're they're not even giving any credit for something that he did, and mm -hmm. I will be another one to admit. And again, I've written about the fact that I mean I think that that he waited too long. He waited until his second term, Obama did, um, to really get aggressive about um, climate. And I recognize that there were there's a there's a recession going on and what have you. Um, but you know when you bring this up two years in the last two years of your second term. Um, deniers um, and opponents are just going to outweigh you, and they did. Yeah. Um, and so nothing really came of that, notwithstanding all the, the good um, intentions and, and some very, um, uh, I think, s some regulations that um, certainly pushed the envelope in the day that, in the days that they were pushed, this is kind of a back in the day sort of thing. And it I mean, is absolutely. <laughs> but, well, it is, and you know, and, and the timeline gets shorter. Um, I mean, it's it hasn't been that long since Obama's been in office. When, right. I mean, it seems that way with, in some ways, of what's going on with the current president. But 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 the fact of the matter, it's only been a few years. The, the problem, the problem, of course, is that um, our knowledge of what what's happening to the climate has has increased so rapidly and we're wasting time because nothing is actually getting done and it's not going to get done during the rest of um, Trump's administration and as I uh, put out in a recent article that um, it's going to take several years to actually undo what Trump did before you can even kind of put your own stuff in. Um, the Democrats can put their more aggressive policies in and then we're going to hit the courts again anyway. And um, so uh, so here we go. And speaking of the courts, it's the other big deal that's going on, um, I think, here in Washington, is that the D.C. Appeals Court um, is gearing up uh, for a, a, a fall and winter um, uh, docket of a lot of environmental law cases. 
um, and starting in September and going through the end of the year. Um, they'll be dealing with the auto um, emissions uh, standards again and um, on a couple of levels. One is that the, uh, there, are, there are lawsuits now that the, the uh, proposed freeze by the Trump administration is, is totally inadequate to the, to the issue. So there's, there's a, um, uh, a scientific technical issue that, uh, that are at stake. Um, they go back to the original uh, Massachusetts versus um, EPA rule that, that indicated that I mean, EPA has to do this and has to do this fairly aggressively, more or less in line with the IPC, with the uh, UN uh, reports on, uh, on climate change happening and, and what's necessary. But there also, there's also the issue of whether California um, can keep its waiver. Um, and this is going to be a, a, a long time fight. Um, if you remember also that uh, several auto companies, uh, actually four auto companies have, have, may, uh, have signed on to a deal with California that says, look, we're going we're gonna to follow your rules no matter what the administration says. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it didn't please the administration very much. And right. there are now a number of uh, members of Congress um, who are writing the other auto companies and working with those four auto companies to get um, the others on board with the California agreement, which um, really provides a very interesting wrinkle to this whole thing and yeah. um, could absolutely negate whatever it is that the... Uh, uh, administration is trying to do. But central to that, of course, is California's continuing to have its waiver. Um, and although the other states don't have a waiver, uh, don't even have a right to the waiver um, under the Clean Air Act, they do have a right to follow the more uh, strident regulations of California. So, um, and all, most of those states, as it turns out, are actually Democratic. So obviously this is going to be something that gets factored in not only to the courts, but into the uh, political debates as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, well, the other, the other case actually we're waiting for, um, which is not in the DC court, um, but in the ninth circuit, uh, the court of appeals in, uh, out in California, uh, and Oregon is the, uh, Juliana case that was, right. uh, the, had oral arguments in June, um, mm-hmm. on the, um, uh, administration's motion to, um, get, just deep six the, uh, the case. And so. My guess is that we'll be hearing something in the next week or maybe up to a month. Um, and I'm believing that this is not going to end well for the plaintiffs in Juliana. What it will do, however, is it'll really fire up the youth movement. Um, and my feeling on all of this is that um, notwithstanding all the conflicts between the progressives and the moderates and the Democratic Party and between the Democrats and the Republicans, um, the youth are actually going to be the ones that keep uh, climate on the front page. One of the mm-hmm. things that I worry about um, is that, you know, right now we're talking about all the we're talking about climate being on high on, on the voters' list. I mean, um, obviously with the summer and what have you, I mean, people are are, are talking about it. And they're worried about it. They're they're connecting the dots between um, disasters and 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 record heat and climate change. But that can change. I mean, um, we're the not that immigration shouldn't be talked about, not that healthcare shouldn't be talked about. But you know, this is this has happened before. Um, that climate in advance, you know, a year or two in advance of an election um, registers high on voter priorities. Um, but then come election time, it, it's literally at the bottom of a list of fifteen things that, that people right. are concerned about. And that's something I think that that uh, we have to worry about. But 
because of the uh, youth action, um, this isn't going to go away. Um, and we're going to see them actually picketing the uh, a meeting coming up in the Democratic National uh, Committee at the end of this month, I think, um, because Tom Perez, the chairman of the DNC, um, still doesn't want to give over uh, a debate to just the issue of climate. And uh, people are not very happy about that. Um, the only other thing I can talk about is on uh, the office of um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, mm -hmm. has some openings these days. That um, uh -huh. Chief of Staff uh, Chakrabarty um, has been, it's been announced that he's going back to the, uh, um, to the organizations to, to work on climate, to, in this case, the Sunshine Movement and Earth Justice. He came out of Earth Justice. Um, he wasn't exactly fired, um, but he was uh, let go, shall we say, because he has he had a nasty habit of insulting Democrats um, publicly uh, and insulting them in a way that I have to admit isn't very uh, wasn't very cool. I mean, he was he was talking about moderate Democrats, um, calling them the blue dog Democrats of the past, and these are the Democrats um, that that uh, were segregationists. Um, and in fact, that Biden had talked about um, that I mean, basically were very, very conservative Democrats coming out of the South in those days. I mean, they were, in fact, segregationists. Um, and, um, but these days, moderates, I, I don't think that claim makes makes any sense and certainly can't, wouldn't stand up to any kind of um, examination. Um, it's also something that I mean, he just he just went off the reservation. You know, that in its own right, I think, is probably enough reason for for uh, her to want him out of the office. I mean, she's got better things to do than, than defend, excuse the French, stupid missives um, mm -hmm. about, about colleagues. But the other thing I think that it may show, and something that we'll just have to kind of put in the back of our mind and see if other events occur, is that she may be tempering her own approach um, to how you play the game in Congress, um, when you've got a you know a, a, a Democratic caucus of 200 members, not all of whom are nearly as progressive as you are, um, and she's probably learning that you know don't air dirty laundry in public. I mean that that to me is a common sense rule, and and um, for members of Congress, I mean if you want to do it or I want to do it, that's a different situation. But for members of Congress, that's another thing because what happens is that if you're not in the leadership position, if you're not the speaker in this case. Um, your stuff is going to get jammed down and we'll never see the light of day. Um, and I mean, the, the speaker and the, the senior leaders and, of, the, of the caucus determine what issues get on the agendas and um, not only of the committees, but even make it onto the floor. Um, I would like to see, I mean, and maybe I'm being too middle of the road, um, but I would like to see the, the progressives moderate their um, their attack strategy um, a, a little bit, not not stop it, just moderate it um, and do it in a way that uh, doesn't put the rest of the, the party and the caucus um, in a corner that that they can't get out of without coming through you. Um, and I think that, you know, we all have to, uh, they're, they're newbies on the block, if you will. I mean, they're the rookies um, in the game. And I think that this is something that, um, that most learn along the way, should it, should it be less um, establishment and old person um, uh, focused? Yeah, it probably should, but um, but you shouldn't just blow it up either um, and expect to have uh, 
something approximating a functioning uh, caucus. So that's it as far as my Washington update is concerned. Well, okay. So you are in the middle of writing a series uh, about timing and you know, I just wanted to hear where you are with that. Um, you know, just give us a, you know, a an elevator speech on you know what that that uh, uh, article is really about. I I did the first of, of what's going to end up being a periodic series, and the whole proposition is that you know it's all well and good to talk about all these plans that you that you have for what you're going to do, whatever you know, as a Democratic president on your first day in office. But the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of stuff going on that um, that is a carryover from the Trump administration. Um, there are rules out there that have to be undone, and it takes a couple of years, according to the um, Administrative Procedures Act, to undo these things. And what I would like to see um, is two things. One is I would like to see the discussion um, by the candidates and by the party talk about, um, realistically, about what's going to happen should a Democratic president and hopefully a Democratic Congress get elected, because it's not all going to happen in the first year and if you're not honest, I think, with um, with constituents, what happens is that people think you're not doing what it is that you promised to do. And the fact of the matter is it's going to take more time um, to do it than than people than, than, a, than a candidate on a, uh, giving a stump speech is going to let on to. So I would like to see that um, more honest, more transparent. But the other thing is that given that, um, then I think what I would like to see is I would like to see the candidates and the party. Um, take the next step up and not just talk about um, general, you know, deals that you, Green New Deals and, and what have you, but actually to begin to to write um, the documents that will be needed to, to put into the, um, the system to undo what uh, Trump's climate legacy is. And my, I'm estimating in this, it'll be five years before you can undo um, what, what uh, Trump has has done. I mean, he's already rolled back 83 environmental regulations. Getting them back on the books um, is one thing, but by the time they get on the books, they're going to be um, out of date. So let's start. Let's start writing what needs to be written as far as new regulations now, so that you're prepared um, to to fill in immediately. And um, and so that's where I'm going with this, because the fact of the matter is, the time is absolutely of the essence now, and whether. Whether we have 12 years or 20 years, um, queuing up five years um, because you're not prepared to undo and replace uh, what's, what Trump has done um, means that instead of three to five years of getting um, things up and running, we're talking about eight years. And that just, I mean, it's just unacceptable that mm -hmm. um, targets are not going to be met. So uh, it's a long elevator ride, I understand, but. Um, <laughs> We're in a skyscraper. It's okay. Yeah, right. So, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, next time we'll take the stairs. Okay. Um, and so anyway, I, I hope people will follow this. Um, and uh, the other thing that I hope people will do um, is, you know, I've started the uh, the Climate Politics uh, Capital Light newsletter, um, mm -hmm. although it's coming out once a week during the recess. Once Congress is back in session, it's gonna, it comes out twice a week. Um, and if they go to my site, uh, civilnotion.com, and click on the... Uh, tab that says climate politics, they'll see all of the newsletters there. Um, they're, they're, they're clips of things that I think that are important for people to be aware of, um, in addition to the fact that I make some of my own um, smarmy comments about uh, what people are doing and, and what have you. So um, I hope that, that they're both informative and enjoyable for people to read.
Excellent. Yeah. Oh, I live for your comments. So that's a good thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's sort of put a little pressure on me. Why don't you? Thanks no, for no. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess then that wraps up our first new short edition of Zero Net 50 Washington Focus. That was fun. Uh, we will also be breaking out our international topics to their own episodes so our listeners can keep an eye out for them. And if our listeners have comments or questions, they can tweet them to hashtag ZeroNet50. I also recommend watching the hashtag climate strike. It's a bit over-exercised at this point, anywhere from 100 to 400 tags per hour. But it's also an interesting way to take the temperature of the movement in the lead up to the September 20 um, strikes. So, um, Joel, thank you for your update today. Thank you, Jennifer. It's nice to uh, have you have us both back in the saddle, I think. Yes, I agree. And I look forward to hearing more next time. And thank you to our listeners for joining us and have a great day.